Ho, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Almost Better Than Silence. I'm your host, Doug Coleman, and I'm here today with the other co-host, Brendan McCullough, and it's Christmas Day, at least when this is dropping. How are you doing, Brendan? Are you having a good Christmas? <laughs> it's definitely nowhere near Christmas as we record this, because we planned ahead thoroughly. Wink. It's definitely Christmas Eve. But it's Christmas we, Eve. It's yeah. like, and I think it's already Christmas Day in Europe. Like it's it's late on Christmas Eve. We recorded this eight hours after you're hearing it, or eight hours before you're hearing this. Yeah, but hey, we're I did my best to bring you guys uh, some more of these best of game developer interview moments. Uh, we have a really cool one in store for you guys today. We got to talk to uh, Emmerich Thoa of the Game Bakers, uh, responsible for the game Fury. And we got to speak to Michael from Plastic Studios, responsible for the game Bound. So uh, sit back and relax, and we'll be back with some commentary. I'm here today with a special guest. We have Emmerich Toa. Uh, he is the creative director of the game Fury and a member of the Game Bakers. How are you doing, Emmerich? I'm fine. Thank you very much for, uh, for having me here. Of course. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on the show. Um, specifically, I got your game Fury when it came out for free on PS Plus, and I just actually beat the game last night, so I'm, I'm really excited mm. to speak with you. It is quite a... I don't know how other to say than, like... Uh, it's just a visual masterpiece. Like, there's some really psychedelic animations you guys have going on in there. Um, in general, uh, do you want to maybe just give our listener uh, the elevator pitch on what Fury is? Sure. So Fury is, is a boss fight game, and you only fight bosses, like characters who are uh, strong and, uh, you know, d- unique, different in, in every way. But they are not crazy big creatures like in God of War or Shadow of the Colossus, they are more like uh, an opponent to you that is uh, similar to you. So there are cool-looking humanoid characters that you fight more in a duo than in a boss fight, actually. Yes. And that's that's a, the elevator pitch. It's a boss fight game. So let's talk about the art style. I, I, If I'm not mistaken, someone who had worked on Afro Samurai helped in the art department for you guys. Is that correct? Yeah, it's actually more than someone who was involved in. It's um, Takeshi Okazaki, the creator of Afro Samurai, the guy who just created the manga and, and managed to make the, the whole animation happen, uh, was the character designer for Fury. Oh, so wow. We have one art director who managed to do all the in-game art and, and, uh, you know, art direction, visuals, models, and, and a lot of shaders and stuff like that. But the character designers, the guy who, who has drawn all the characters, it's Takashi Okazaki, the creator of Afro Samurai. That is amazing. Cause yeah, I'm a huge fan of Afro Samurai, the animation. I never got into reading the manga personally, but in general, just that art style is so beautiful and it really, uh, comes through in Fury. I, it's, I, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. Is it cell shaded, so to speak, from a technical point? Or how, how did you accomplish that? Well, it's not cell shaded because cell shading has a black stroke on the outside. You know, all the characters and the lines, they have a yes. black stroke that makes it look like a, a manga or something like that. Here we, we have uh, a much simpler art style and much simpler design. It's a tune shader, very basic one. The thing is, more than the treatment itself of the textures, it's just that it's hand painted 
very simplistic textures. There is no detail. It's not very realistic. And also one strong guideline that was, um, from the beginning for the game was to have every, every shot that you can have in the game to be animated. So if you are looking at, at the background, at an environment, you will see sand, wind, flowers, uh, you know, leaves of in the trees that are moving, everything. There is always something moving on screen that makes it feel um, alive in a way. And also everything has to feel uh, surrealistic. So it's not uh, like you will see flying rocks. You will see um, fountains where the water goes from down to, <laughs> from bottom to, you know, from down to upwards. Uh, everything is like that. It's, it's, uh, not a realistic world. It's very realistic, um, concerns for the characters, but the world itself is not a, a realistic one. We didn't want to put this game in, you know, a, a context where you have guns who fire bullets of, you know, there is no fire. It's only energy. It's all, um, it's another another planet, basically. Yeah, that totally makes sense to me. In general, it's just it's a very unique experience, and I, I had a lot of fun with it. So I implore our listeners to go check it out. But I, I just have a couple questions as far as uh, the game bakers, the studio that's responsible for it. Um, how long have you guys been around, and is this your first game? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good question because I've read in reviews here and there, like. Oh, from nowhere, game bakers uh, arrive and deliver this great game, and and it, like we were we are born like yesterday. <laughs> but the truth is, we've like my partner Audrey and our uh, lead engineer in the team. We've been working at Ubisoft for uh, you know like seven to ten years before we created the game bakers. And after, yeah, we left Ubisoft, we started the Game Bakers and it's been six years. So we okay. have, uh, about 15 years in the game industry uh, wow. of experience. And with the Game Bakers, we've released five games before Fury. So that's six games total. Okay. But we've released uh, mobile games before. Like we, we made AAA games with Ubisoft and we left. We started to make mobile games. We released a game called Squids. And then again, a game called Combo Crew and, uh, some other things that we made. And, and then we decided we wanted to go back to console and PC, PC gaming. So we started uh, Fury two years and a half ago. Oh, wow. Okay. And, uh, the team grew up because we, we, we went from a team of, of five to 10 to a team of 20, about 20 person, person on Fury for two years. So okay. That's, uh, that's already a big, a big, uh, well, let's say indie team, but it's a big one. Yeah, that makes sense, uh, in comparison to some of the other teams we've spoken to on this podcast. But I guess, um, and also where is the game Bakers located? Everywhere. Uh, that's actually, that's actually true. We have a physical studio in Montpellier, south of France. Okay. We are five in Montpellier, but, the Fury, for instance, was developed in 13 different cities and three continents. We have someone in Canada, we have someone in the US, 
We have someone in Japan, in Sweden, in Poland. Uh, we have people everywhere in France. We have, we are what we call a, a studio in the clouds, meaning that we are all our pipeline is set up so that we can work with anyone from anywhere. That's very important to us that, that allows us as a small studio to work with the best, uh, all, all over the world. Well, here's a question. So you did mention that you guys were originally working at Ubisoft and then went to form your own indie development team. Uh, what was it like working for Ubisoft, like a kind of mainstream game developer? And what was your main inspiration to go indie? Mm, working at Ubisoft was a very good experience. Uh, Ubisoft is a, is a very good company. It takes good care of its uh, employees. I learned a lot. Uh, when I, while I was there, I had the crazy chance to work with best people in Ubisoft. I worked at the direction, so I worked with uh, the, the, the founders of the company and also with the best creative directors, the best producers. So basically, it was my school. <laughs> I learned sure. a lot from, from this experience. But in the same time, I was a bit frustrated not to work on my own games and also by the size of the teams, the size of the, the, the length of, uh, how long it would take to make a game. When you work on a 400 people team on a game for four or five years, it's an experience, but I wanted, you know, to, we, we are not called the game makers for nothing. I wanted something more like, uh, crafting a game. You know, you are a small team. You make all your love into it for a year and then it, it just chips and you are happy. So that, that was a strong, something I really wanted to, to do. And when the mobile games arrived and digital distribution, I thought, man, that's, that's my opportunity. I can, I can at least try. And if I fail, I have a good enough resume to, to, to find work after that. But we didn't fail, and it's six years after that, and I'm, we are still there. Yes, and the reviews are, in the vast majority, very, very good, and the sales are going well. It's a bit early for us to say if it's uh, enough, but because it was a PlayStation Plus game for... It was uh, free for a lot of players, so... <laughs> yeah, and that's one thing I wanted to ask you about. It's... Like, is that, was that a particular marketing move that you were able to set up just to get the game in people's, uh, in front of people or, and so they could try it out and see if they want to buy it themselves? Or what was your thought on that? Mm, well, PlayStation Plus, it's a bit like, you can see that as, as Netflix. They, they buy content and they give it to the people who are subscribing to their program. So nothing is actually free. People are paying to be on PlayStation Plus and, and this money goes to the developer somehow. And it's either, they either buy games that are finished to give them as free games to the PlayStation Plus subscribers or they buy games before they are made. And that's what happened to us. We, we went to Sony. We showed them uh, a prototype that we had and they said, Wow, this is good. We want to be part of this adventure. 
and they give they gave us money and and the, the deal was that we would be PlayStation Plus uh, in exchange. Interesting. Okay, I was always curious. Yeah, that's that's how it works, and and it's a very, I think it's a very good deal because it it allowed us to make the game the way we wanted, and then a lot of players are playing it. So in the end, I'm very happy about that. And then uh, we we also have uh, other platforms to to um, to get uh, our funding for the next game. So hopefully we'll be able to do that and uh, and make a new game. So, and speaking of the name of the game, Fury, like what what led to that choice? I, I think I'm, I'm sure there's more to it, but in my opinion, as a gamer, I just think to myself, the game is kind of rage inducing if you're not good at it, and if it's like really you're getting on a boss that's like you're really struggling with. So I can understand, like, yeah, Fury, a play on words there, but what mm. is that necessarily it? There is like there is a double a double meaning. There is the one that you said and. Uh, hidden one, I won't reveal here. Oh, okay. But it's actually the, um, you know, it's, it's a very Japanese game and it's actually has a, a meaning that is the meaning of the game, uh, in the title if you pronounce it in the Japanese way. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> I'll see if any of our fans are hardcore enough to f- uh, figure that one out. <laughs> But that's pretty cool. Um, and then I guess another thing that, as I was playing the game, I'm I'm just curious. Why did you guys go with the like the the bunny rabbit masks? Like I know, for instance, as a fan of the anime Afro Samurai, I noticed certain characters had like teddy bear masks and things along those mm-hmm. lines. Was that uh, necessarily an influence by Mister Okazaki himself, or is this something separate? Yeah, that's like. Before, the way we worked with Takashi Okazaki was that we, I, I send him a brief, like he came to France, I went to Japan, we worked together, but usually I would send him a brief by email. Okay, we need this character, here is his backstory, here is his, his behavior, his attitude, his style, and here is the gameplay I want with him. And then we would design the character and I would usually change all my design because this character was so cool that I would update my design based <laughs> on his, his drawing. But for, for this character, the rabbit mask character was called the voice. Um, he has to have a mask in, in the backstory for some reason that is not ex- explicitly told in the game. Okay. And, and he, because he's such a fan of, you know, um, animal plush toys mask that you also have in Afro Samurai. He made the rabbit, uh, probably because at one point in the brief, I mentioned, um, Alice in Wonderland and he was inspired by that. And I just fell in love with the rabbit mask. And later in the game development, he removed the mask and make, made another version of the character. And I, I told him, nah, nah, please come back to the rabbit mask. It was so good. Oh, nice. We went back to that. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I personally thought it was a great choice. It just really added to the whole surreal kind of dreamlight state of everything. Exactly. I just, in general, I loved just uh, progressing through the levels. One thing I noticed was it, the game has an amazing soundtrack, so we should probably talk about that a little bit at some point. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to say during like the progressions between bosses it gave a great opportunity to really 
uh, you can hit X on your uh, if you're playing PlayStation to just have your character auto walk to the next area and get to embrace the music, the environment, and have uh, your like the other character explain certain things as you go. It was just really uh, immersive. Yeah, and actually, some players don't like that, but for me, it's you know the boxing inspiration that I was talking about. Yes, it's, it's a lot of uh, related to that because you are you're doing a very intense fight and then you can't just jump to another fight like that. You need this, this moment where you take a break. And for me, it's the same, the same thing. I used to, you know, do boxing in the ring and, 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 and I needed to get prepared. You know, I, I, I was in the, in the locker room and I needed to get prepared. So I put some music in my ears try to get, you know, fired up and, and ready because I was going to go on the ring and get punched in the face. That was <laughs> 100% happening. So yeah. to do that, anybody is scared. Even the biggest boxers, they don't really want that to happen. But because they, they are into this and they know the adrenaline will come on and everything, they need to get ready for that. So they try to get ready and listen to music and, and jump around and then you you go and you walk towards the, the ring and you, you enter the ring and you watch your opponent and, and here the fight starts. And that's exactly what's happening here. You are getting ready and you will notice if you, if you, if you check the music, it's always going a bit crescendo. Like it starts slow and then. Yes. And. And then you arrive in the arena and the fight, there is an introduction of the character and then you fight. Oh, totally. No, and I did get that vibe. It really did feel like you're, you, as you approach the boss, like everything was like kind of climaxing. It's like shit's about to go down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you have any advice for uh, aspiring game developers? Mm. Okay, I have one. And maybe it's not the one they expect. Okay. But uh, let's say I recommend not trying to do what you love, but try to do what you are good at. Okay. So if you are, uh, you just love AAA action games, maybe you should not try to do that especially if you are, uh, I don't know, if you, if you want to be a programmer and you're, you suck at programming, but you are a good, you know, web programmer, go that, uh, go do that and, and do that as your job and have fun, you know, doing programming on your, on your, uh, weekends or have fun playing games. I, I meet a lot of students and people who like to play games and because they love that, they want to make games. But sometimes it's different. Sometimes you need to do something you are good at. You will feel good at work. And then you come back and you play games. Uh, being a game developer sometimes ruins being a player. So <laughs> um, it's important to know that working is is interesting and, and uh, satisfying if you are good at what you do and you feel good at what you do, whatever you do. And then you have your uh, your hobbies. So... Yeah, sometimes you want to be a game designer, but you are bad at communication. You are bad at uh, getting good ideas, but you are a pretty good 
organized programmer go do some programmation and and don't try to be a game designer and you are a good game designer and you want to be i don't know an artist or just do what you're good at and and uh keep your hobbies intact <laughs> that's my advice We have a special guest, a creative developer, a creative director of the game Bound. We have Michael Stanzewski. How are you today? (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone. Um, Yeah, I'm fine. (laughs) The reason everyone's laughing is because everyone, if you're familiar with our show, you know I have a terrible time pronouncing certain names. And literally, Michael just told me his last name and I I butchered it. So I apologize. (laughs) But uh, how are you doing today? I'm fine. I'm I'm just uh, I'm just back from my vacation. Like two weeks of like complete cutout from from everything. It was really great. So, awesome. oh wow! What would you say is uh, your favorite part of the game? The story. Yes, and that's the thing. As I played it, I it the story. It's very how do I say like vague. As you you're you're kind of. You don't really understand what the story is until the very end, or at least that was my experience. Um, how did you come to this idea that you wanted to make this less of a full-blown game and more of an experience that tells a story? I don't want to spoil the story, so uh, it's a little bit hard to talk about it. But yes. uh, but but still, uh, or maybe I will spoil it. So oh, feel I, I, will free. Make, I, I will make the, the podcast much more interesting if I, I will spoil it. Okay. Oh, great. So basically the bounty is about like the, the, the breaking of family. But what we wanted to do is not to show, um, any part of like uh, a mother or father or kids, um, to concentrate on them as a bad person or a person causing the, the breakage of, of the family. So, so the idea was to balance it in such way that people will interpret the game in their own way based on the um, order of the chapters that they do. Yes. So each of the chapters represent each person, like the family member in a bad perspective. And we discovered that the person that you see the last, you blame it. And um, it's it's because the the movies are are made in a such way. It's like the the coolash we call it coolash of effect. So basically, what what you see, you're like uh, you're familiar with that because you are growing with movies. And in the movies, there is like a conclusion, some kind of uh, summary in the end. When you see um, a a person that uh, that behaves bad, then you blame that person, and the story is resolved for you. So this is something that we discovered during playtest that people were tending to blame the the person that they've seen last as bad. Okay. And it was very, it was very interesting because they couldn't agree in the end which family member was the cause of the the family break. And this was our intention. And uh, this worked for those that didn't um, share like life experiences with our character. But for those who had similar uh, like memories, like they came from the, the broken families, they acted completely differently. They blamed the person. So we we were ha- I had this feeling that they were blaming the person that in their real life 
they were bl- they were blaming the same person that uh, they were doing it in real life. Ah, I see. Huh. So so in the end, when there was like this moment when you come to the house and there's like a father inside, uh, it was working on them in a very like um, emotional way that they actually could do something in the game that they could uh, they they didn't in real life because they were uh, they haven't got the car- courage to do that. So it was working in a very, like, let's say, therapeutic way. And during the playtest, people were, were like, showing, the, like, they were um, writing um, the questionnaire in the end. And there were, like, two questions. The first question is, like, what did you do in the end? And the second question is, why did you do that? And in this uh, second question, why, they were, like, writing their stories of their life <laughs> and it was really touching for us because it was actually working and uh, and after like game release we've seen those uh, the, the same um like the, the same actions from players well, on on Twitch and on on YouTube and it it was really great because like those people who who had this revelation it was like real catharsis <laughs> like the real one it's not like something that you you have like a good story and you you feel it that it was a good story it was not something like that it was something that actually touched you definitely oh wow i i love how you guys kind of set out to build that emotional connection with the gamers playing your game. So in general, that's just amazing. And as someone who just saw the gameplay and trailer and was like, wow, this, it looks visually stunning, I didn't really honestly know what to expect as far as story goes. So jumping into that game and having that outcome was quite uh, unique of an experience. But I guess my next question would be, how did dancing become such a key element to the game? As, as For anyone who's played, uh, you'd know that the main character uh, dances around in this very uh, visually stunning, psychedelic environment. Uh, can you talk a little about how dancing got involved in the game? Yeah, so, so dancing is, um, like, after analyzing the game, after, um, after being released, the dancing is, like, our biggest advantage and biggest disadvantage <laughs> it sure. is it's like a blade with uh, that has like two sharp sharp edges yes. so mm-hmm. so one is that because it's generated so much so much coverage for us uh, like we didn't have to go to journalists they were like reaching to us directly and for 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 indie developers it's really hard because you normally you go to those shows you stand on the, on the in the kiosks and and it's like hard to convince like journalists that your game is different from the others and in case of bound when they've seen like the dancer and they were like thinking that actually they don't remember any game at all that featured the dancer then it immediately started to grow in their head that it's like it's amazing that there is something currently that has been uh, like this discovered in games that haven't been used before but the problem is that they started to generate in their heads this this kind of um like the hype or um expectations yes that we didn't plant because like dancing in our game came very late to the development and and just because of like i said we wanted to have like a different look of the character and at first she was a runner 
because she was running like in the the final scene in the corridor. Okay. So so we were thinking that she's like running, and also like the speed running element was like involved into that. So it was quite of working, but but still it was in any way it was not interesting because it was looking uh, it looked like uh, any other game. So then I, I I was watching like my friend showed me a video that uh, had this. Mm, contemporary dancer which was behaving in her dance exactly like our character would behave so it was like the emotionally it it was working emotionally in terms like the dance was showing her emotions and then we also like after a couple of dancers played our games they said that they also like used dance to get rid of their like normal problems that buzzes them around yeah so 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 this was like working perfectly and but but the problem is like in terms of like mechanics we didn't wanted to plan any kind of uh, let's say advanced mechanics uh, in terms of um, like dance tree dance skill tree or something <laughs> because uh, it would ruin like the the whole story around it it mm-hmm. would be just like very naive or, or um, childish so it would break the story but uh, and and the dance is like just another aesthetic to the game that fits the the whole to, to the, like the whole world but but the problem is that people expected much more and and did this turned into like the reviewers uh, like like they were almost crying that this game doesn't bring what they were expecting and and this is what it's it's quite unfair because maybe no man's sky also like was hyping around too much oh, so, sure. so it's a kind of trend but um, but still we didn't plan that that the dancing will be a major part of the game and i hope that what we've did is that will uh, that someone will take this dancing uh, idea and do it like a real game because like what we do is it's much more like a not game or experimental game or experience than a regular game so maybe someone will take this idea of a dancer and will evolve it in a like a ubisoft style way i think you mentioned earlier you guys were using an in-house game engine that's extremely impressive to begin with but did you guys utilize motion capture in order to get the the animation so uh yes okay because yes. yeah it's very convincing yeah so so um the idea uh, behind the motion capture was working like that so at first we were uh, like we are working with santa monica studio that was like that they had a huge amount of experience in uh in like platforming them like god of war and for god of war they don't uh, like before, like the, the new one, they were not using so much motion capture because it was like a fantasy style game, and they they were saying that platformers are shouldn't use the, the motion captures, and there it's it was something like okay, so we'll not make may use motion capture, we'll do everything by hand, but we've at, uh, we've reached the moment when it was very very hard to figure out. How the dancer, for example, walks on the ledge, or how the dancer walks on the ladder, and, and so on. And we we couldn't find that on on YouTube. <laughs> so there are things that you still 
really hard to to fi- find in the internet and and then i i i thought that we should work with the real dancers and and choreographer so we've reached our friends from the, from the mockup studio and they uh, organized the the casting and we found like the perfect dancer like Maria is the perfect dancer for for the game because we we wanted to have a dancer that is very flexible and can do those flips and like gymnastic style movements and jumps especially because it's it's, it's a platformer Mm -hmm. in in a way Um, and then we discovered that it looks so good that um, except for those movements that were really hard for us to uh, to figure out ourselves and some dancing elements that we motion capture on the first time that we should re remock up like every kind of movement that we have in games or also jumps also landings um like every part of the character we didn't make the role the role is hand animated because i didn't want that uh, like maria to like break herself in <laughs> something but uh, but still but still we could also do that um the, the problem with mockup is that it it looks really nice in terms of like visual aesthetics and we this is the, the the thing that we wanted, but when you dance and you combine the dancing with with jumping and so on, if you want to have this super fluid uh, animation, then you need to sacrifice a little bit of responsive uh, responsiveness. Okay. And 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 during like the the normal platforming, the character is very responsive, but when she da- starts to dance, then there's like a major delay. With with the with the combinations of like dancing and and making um, a jump or dancing and making like a, another spin, uh, because we wanted to to those movements to end appropriately and not like be cut down to another like in Street Fighter for example, and this is something that uh, like cut down a little bit of responsi- uh, responsiveness and. People that are playing our game like a lot, because there are some people that are like, spending like hundreds of hours in bound, <laughs> and we really like them. We have the, a good contact with them because they make a tons of photos and they speed run the game. Oh, awesome. uh, they they understand those mechanics, but the the thing is that it's something quite advanced to understand in a like one and a half hour or two hours that normally takes to to beat the game. One thing I, I'm curious about is what led to Bound being a PlayStation 4 exclusive? I know, I'm sure PC gamers would love to get their hands on it, but I'm just curious what led to that. Yeah, so so it's like, like you, uh, it's exactly like you said. I think that there's a lot of PC gamers that would like the game because our main target, like those experiences and like those story-driven games, is, in, is on a PC. But the thing is that we are working with Santa Monica Studio, and we are working with Santa Monica Studio on our previous two titles. Okay. And and because of that, it's exclusive, and it's like the, the simplest explanation that I, I can give you. Okay. No, that makes sense. I just wasn't sure how uh, that worked, to be honest. But that it makes sense if you're working with a a a, a studio like them. They they probably call the shots. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but but it's. I think that's like one of the best publishers in the world that you can 
you can get when being like an indie studio. It's like I, I can't say that we are indie. We are indie by heart because we are doing uh, the stuff that we want to do, and they help us with that in such way that they don't uh, like change it in a way. For example, that currently market doesn't like. Like online games, so we will not make an online game, something like that. So, so basically, mm-hmm. uh, Santa Monica is like they did a lot of good games, like Journey, uh, Flow Flower, um, Everyone's Gone to the Rapture, and I can say like a, a lot more. And these are really good games, and they um, specialize in those experimental games, and they can uh, like they can. Um, Make convince you to make it like exclusive, so um, you will have like the, uh, for example, like a lot of support. Like you will have like the, like first party, um, Sony developer. You will have your hands on the prototypes of the hardware. So Bound is coming to PlayStation VR on launch date. Oh wow. Yeah, so so it's 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 normally would be very very hard for like an indie studio, especially when you use like um, an Unreal or um, Unity engine, which which are quite optimized already. But still, if you want to do VR, you need to go to the metal, and because we have our our own engine, uh, then then we can do it. And like Santa Monica helps us with that because like we we got the first um, it was called Morpheus back then prototypes and um and right now we are, we are going to to like hit the launch date and um yeah there's there's a lot of like advantages that you can get from working with Santa Monica as a publisher but you will have to be exclusive <laughs> you are not a PC that so this yeah <laughs> Do you have any advice for aspiring game developers? <laughs> that, that, that's a, that's a hard one. <laughs> it, it's a hard one because it's like um, I, I was asked these questions a couple of times already, and in time I'm I'm changing my attitude towards it <laughs> because uh, like at some point I was telling that you need to like evolve your own technology to understand how the other engines work from inside, which okay. is, of course, like, true. But, and and also, I can easily say that you can develop your own engine in, for example, like, half a year. But, for this moment, I can say that you can do it in a half a year, but you need to have, like, a very, very experienced team to do it. And uh, if you are starting... I think that you probably need to go with the with the tools that are like widely accessible. But the thing is that when you get to those tools, then you probably will get constrained in time because of the t- uh, tools limitations. And I, I can like read all around about the Unity stuff that they are having problems with some things that it's not supported or it's coming in the next release or because there's like thousands of versions they need to stick to one and and, and so on so um, there are those limitations and also you don't have this kind of digging into the rendering pipeline directly so you could do stuff for for example like bound couldn't be done on unreal or unity in such frame rate 
So basically it could be done, but it would be slow. But for aspiring game developers, what I can say for now, so like despite the technology and so on, I think that they need to try to think out of the box of games. So you want to make a game and you've played the games for like the whole your life. It's like the, everything starts like that. I was playing games till I was like three or five or whatever, but it's not enough. So basically what you need to do is like reach out from this box of games that you played and look around the other forms of like digital art around you. So not only digital art, but art, real world take inspirations from outside of the games because only uh, based on that you will be able to do something that is unique and different and you need to you want to do something that is unique and different to gain the coverage of your game because right now there is like 200 games coming each day and it's really really hard to appear Definitely. Wow. That was solid advice. And I, I, I like the fact that you admitted that your answer changed over time, because that's honestly why I asked so many different developers the same question, because their answers vary so widely. But thanks so much for joining us. It's been a real blast. So, Bren, what did you think of that? It's interesting. Well, I mean, it's interesting to want you to pair up, because like, I'm, you know, we, we pair up the game devs that we have because we don't have too many. It's hard to do. We've, we've complained about this enough. But um, Fury and Bound both really stand out to me because they're both extremely stylized games that use the telling uh, both as the game medium as more of a metaphor rather than just a one-to-one narrative story of just like, here's what happens. And it's like, no, you see, you get so much more of the story from nothing you're directly encountering it's the environment it's the like subtext with the characters that do talk or just the visual communication between the characters especially in like bound per se yeah so it's interesting i never thought of how how much these two games had in common until you put them together in this episode yeah no i it's pretty cool that we got to interview these people at all uh one of the things that Emmerich was talking about during uh, that interview was he, I was asking him about the reason why they named the game Fury and how like it's rage inducing and all of that. And he mentioned <laughs> that, like there is some hidden meaning behind it because of it being a game that's uh, has Japanese origins. And I finally cracked the code on that because I was like, maybe one of our listeners will figure it, figure it out. <laughs> but no, the word Fury and in, in Japanese, uh, means Fury free and that's the whole thing you're this character trying to break out of jail and everything so i hope if emmerich is listening to this he's we proud figured of me for cracking the code five years four, four or five years. years something about that yeah we figured it out oh uh, man i assumed it was just because for anyone who doesn't know the story i mean you had plenty of time to play it uh actually it was very topical i went back and listened to your interview with him uh recently because i recently went back and played it like a month or two ago yeah i know you were playing it recently yep yeah so um i assumed the double meaning was like it was fury you play the game and it's a guy just trying to break out of jail in like nine levels and i think the 10th level is like the freedom level um when you finally break out so i when you initially play it, you seem like, oh, Fury is him trying to break out. It's Fury against the people jailing him, like, keeping him in prison. And then at the end, there's the secret boss after the credits, which is uh, the mothership you come from. You're, like, an invading race, and you find out you're just one of the clones, like, invading this planet. 
And then you can choose to fight the uh, mothership that you went back to. And I thought the uh, Fury with double meaning with that was Fury against his own people for essentially being a galactic colonist who are just going to planets, colonizing them, destroying them, and moving on. Right. So Fury directed in multiple directions sort of thing. But uh, it's interesting that it has the double meaning in Japanese. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was really uh, the perfect title for that game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's unique enough because we've definitely complained enough about franchises being like, ah, it's Tomb Raider. It's like, well, yeah, but which one? Like, 99 Tomb Raider? 2005 Tomb Raider? 2018 Tomb Raider? Like, and Fury is just like, even just having a unique spelling to it makes it stand out. Yeah, and it was cool to get, like, a peek behind the curtain of how PlayStation Plus works, of how it's, like, the Netflix of uh, video games, essentially, and they buy up games, and they actually bought that before the game was even done and everything, because they saw it and were like, yeah, this is something where we have faith in and really want to support. So that's cool. And we've also, I feel like, talked about limited uh, run in the past, the limited run games. They make physicals of all sorts of games. Yeah, I have a a physical copy of Fury on PS4, and I, like, treasure it. It's, like, a definitive edition (laughs) And I I was looking into it recently because they, I think they only made like 4,800 of them. And I bought it originally for like 30 bucks. They're they're selling now on Amazon for like $80 if you can even find one. So I'm like, I'm just grateful to even own a copy. Limited. Uh, Yeah, I think Limited Run Games actually bought a storefront recently, a physical storefront. Um, No way. Exactly where. But yeah, they're doing well. I kind of hate it though because I like, like with Fury. I'll play a game and then go back. I was like, wait a minute. I remember limited run games had this and I'll go back or like Valhalla, the cyberpunk bartending simulator, uh, like visual novel game. Yep. I was like, oh, I remember they had something for Valhalla. Let me go look. I was like, oh, cool. They have like an album or like they have like art or like t-shirts. of it. I was like, let me get, wait, it's limited run. God damn it. Like, yep. I know that's the whole premise of it, but it's like, I want that though. I still want that years later. Like I want that merch. And that's that how they stuff. get you, Bren. That's how they get me. I was too late. Uh, but then we got to speak to Michael, uh, the developer of the game Bound, and oh man, I mess up Michael's last name right off the bat. That's why I didn't even attempt it in the beginning of this episode. We learned our uh, lesson. Exactly. I, I'm sorry, Michael. At least he was very good sport about it. Yeah, it's uh, especially international. We've gotten a lot. I mean, we got a lot of international devs. So, like we've spoken a lot from uh, yeah. Europe and stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, it's got to be rough just going on any. I get international press of any kind, even if it's just, you know, two random, you know, jackholes with a podcast, uh, <laughs> just like talking to them and, you know, having certain names. Um, but so much communication barriers. Cause I know with some of these interviews, we were doing it in like the middle of the day. And I think for you, it was on your, I think remember one was on your lunch break at work. And I think for me, it was like, you know, I had a meeting or something. I was actually muted in a meeting to do an interview for a podcast we've done so we get them at weird times because the time zone differences and you know especially now with me on the west coast it's all over the place um but i really like uh, bound because um once again like i said it's they really lean into the stylized aesthetic and design of the game rather than leaning, leaning on the realism and totally it's it's an easy I guess an easy camp to lean into to get brownie points from certain people, but I'm definitely one of those people that'll like be more, much more endeared to your game or your product of any kind. If it's just like, we're not going for call of duty realism. We're not going for Chris Nolan, gritty dark Knight reboot realism. We're going for just like, I got a specific style in mind. It's going to be this like color scheme. It's going to be animated in this style, or we're only going to use this or rotoscope. There's just something unique to it. And like, we're just going to lean into that. 
and we'd rather stick with that than just try and mirror the real world. And that's always going to be at least win favor for me. Oh, definitely. Just when something's realistic, it's easier to compare it and it's easier to poke holes in it of like, oh, like cyberpunk. They're trying to be like realistic and it's like, well, now it's weird when that guy's thumb goes the wrong way because I know thumbs aren't supposed to do that. Right. And especially with Bound too, because that's a lot of uh, the discussion that didn't make it in this episode that you can hear in the full episode is us discussing how Bound is available in VR and uh, Michael telling us about the uncanny valley of of VR Mm -hmm. experiences when things are too realistic and it's very – or when they try to be realistic and you can easily poke holes in it like you were just describing. Um, so it can definitely be uh, a challenge to try to portray that in video games. And I feel like certain games don't necessarily have to do that. Oh, exactly. I mean, like with that Stranding, it's like, oh, it's so photorealistic. It's like, yeah, but then also that kind of backfires when, you know, Norman Reedus starts clipping into something. Like I remember playing Fury and noticing like, ooh, the, some of these textures aren't blending well together. But it's like, it's so stylized. Like that could be intentional and I don't know it. Um but uh, especially with Bound, um, like Michael was talking about with the motion capture, um, it reminds me of, uh, especially because Bound is, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, if you didn't play it, uh, you play as like a ballerina. So that's where a lot of the movement is based around like ballet and stuff. So the yes. movement is such a critical part of the game itself. And he was talking about how they were kind of being talked away from doing motion capture. I'm like, ooh, that's going to be tough and you don't want to do that and stuff. Uh, and like you said, I'm glad they did, especially with certain uh, poses, because like with motion capture, it's similar to like rotoscope and animation. You've seen some movies that are done rotoscope and you can just tell like certain scenes are done with motion capture or like, you know, certain rigging or rotoscope or anything like that, where it's like, even if you had good references, there's certain amount of detail with a precision in the body that you don't think is important when you're just watching it but it's not until you actually see someone physically do it that you realize like ah like with the rolling of the ballet where it's like ah even if we just did that by hand we wouldn't be able to capture like uh you know when she comes to the end of a roll she'll she'll the momentum will carry her forward a little bit and then she'll pull back but if you did just if you did that by just the textbook, she would have finished the end of her role and just stopped. And it's like that would have looked a little robotic and unnatural. But by doing the motion capture, they're able to get the full movement uh, movement of it, and it seems more realistic, even though it is like all very polygonal and like you know abstract in style to the game. It feels even more realistic than if it was a you know just a photograph of the ballet dancer. Right. I, I just love how artistic it is, too, because, like, even just watching a trailer, just watching this ballerina and being like, how is this going to play out as a game? Uh, yeah. It's it. I I feel like it's a very emotional roller coaster, a heavy game about like the breaking of family. And he was mm-hmm. describing about how certain gamers would play their game and basically just explain like how cathartic it was or how they could relate or in different various ways. And other people that were like dancers playing the game being like, yeah, I found catharsis in dancing too. So that they really related with this main character. So that was just all very cool to me. And I feel like just something that you don't really there's not many games that I can think of that come that come to mind when I think of dancing in games other than like Dance Dance Revolution, DDR, which yeah, isn't going to give you like an emotional like revolution. <laughs> it it's taking dancing into the art the art form of it rather than just yes. smashing buttons with your feet and calling it dancing. Um, <laughs> Good point. But I do I do like how he also talked about the like psychological profiles of players who you know either come from broken families or experience something similar to the characters and seeing it differently. We've seen that you know time and time again with pl- plenty of media. Uh, but he points out, like, we're so accustomed to the way storytelling is shown in shows and movies that where 
uh, at, in the chap in a chapter in Bound, people would see the last character in the chapter and assume that they were the one at fault for it, the bad situation that occurred yes. in the chapter. I feel like I specifically remember a scene where it's um, the two siblings fighting and the mother like breaks them up, and at the end you see like the younger sibling, and a lot of people would put blame on the younger sibling because that's the last one you saw, but in reality it was the mother who broke up the fight badly or caused the fight to begin with at the beginning of the chapter. Yeah, but because that's the last character you see is the sibling, you put the blame on them, and it really shows how you get swept up into the game, and then also how the narrative really colors your view of it. Rather than it's like I just saw what happened, but you're gonna you know goldfish memory, you're gonna go with the most recent thing, and you're gonna be yes. like, ah, that's the last person I saw. Something bad happened. They were involved. They're the one to blame. It's like no, take a step back. But it, uh, I'm glad he really like pointed that out and really made me think about. You know, games I've played since, since that interview. Yeah, and he also gave us, like, the perspective of what it's like to be PlayStation exclusive and the, the resources that are, like, enticing you to do that kind of oh, a deal. Yeah. So that was all r- very cool. Uh, we're, we're just very grateful to have any kind of, uh, relationships with these developers. In fact, we're trying to see what they've been up to. I know the game bakers have a new game out called Haven. And one of these days, maybe we'll try to retouch base with them and see how that game's selling and, uh, get some feedback on how development went for that. But, uh, yeah, that would be really fun to do in the future. This whole, uh, going, looking back on our game developer interviews does kind of reignite a fire in me to be like, let's try again in 2021. I know we had the terrible lost interview with Moss, but that it, doesn't mean it's going to be the it, final one. It really put a hindrance on us because it was a good interview and it was topical for once. It was like extraordinarily was topical. Out. We so were just like, nailed yeah. it. We're excited to play this. Like you had the PS4. So like you would have been able to, if you had the VR. So we're like, yep, we're all, we, all the lights are going, all the lights are green. We're excited for this interview. And it's like, Oh man, it's gone. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> So that explains why we fell off the face of the earth with doing game developer interviews. Yeah, but we're back, baby, 2021. Yeah, we'll figure this out. Who, Merry uh, Christmas to all. God, being in lockdown actually probably would have been the best time to interview people. Cause right? I, I'm a little late to the game. <laughs> God damn it. We had our chance. Uh, well, that's how we're going to end this episode. I hope everyone's having a phenomenal Christmas. Uh, we will be back on, actually, New Year's Day with a bonus episode. So look Ooh. forward to that. Um, but, Bren, where can our listeners find you on the internet? Find me on lo- uh, on Twitter at ABTS Brendan. I really don't use it much. Twitter kind of sucks ass. So yeah. don't be surprised if I'm not super active. Um, and then uh, mostly me there retweeting. But this podcast and my other podcast, which is called Are We There Yet? Which is an anime podcast where we watch three episodes or a movie of an anime and give a quick recap and uh, our opinions on it. And it's uh, <laughs> it started of us trying to turn our, our main host into a weeb. That ship sailed a long time ago. We gave up entirely on that. Now I th- I pitch it as a good entry point for anyone interested in anime. Like, if you watch the first three episodes of this, will it suck you in or is this just batshit insane? So, uh, it's a sampler platter instead of watching the anime yourself. There you go. Yep, exactly. Get a, an idea of what it, you're getting yourself into. Some um, of them are wild. <laughs> and listener, if you like our show, give us a like, follow, subscribe. We're findable at all the places at ABT Silence, uh, specifically twitch.tv slash ABT Silence is where I'm streaming a variety of games lately. So come give us a follow there and hang out in the chat. Um, and I also have a record label. It's missedoutrecords.com. See what cassettes and vinyl are available over there. And the band that's responsible for our intro and outro music is a band called Kinda Alright. 
check them out, uh, kindaallright.bandcamp.com. But that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, we'll be back next week. See you guys. See you.